Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Now he goes to, again, the the action and the work that's found there in the temple. The priests of the temple and the Levites, guess how they ate, gang? Guess where they got their finances to live? From the offerings and the tithes of the people that brought it to the temple. (gasps) But that's the Lord's money. Yes, and that's how the Lord used a big portion of it so that the priests could continue to minister at the temple, so that the Levites could continue to minister at the temple also. In today's message, Pastor David teaches about Paul's message to the Corinthians regarding their support for his ministry. Paul's message to the Corinthian church was that they need to provide for the needs of those overseeing the ministry of the gospel. Now, Paul did not depend solely on their help because he was a tent maker, but he intended to instruct the church about their willingness to support God's ministry. God offers an opportunity for us to uphold His work through our involvement in the church. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message entitled, Muzzled Oxen. It's so sad, though, when when the main thought about pastoral salaries moves to those guys and gals, those ministry leaders that abuse the rights that they have. They're literally robbing from their congregations and ministries in order to be able to maintain some kind of a lavish lifestyle, expecting or even demanding that the uh, church, that the ministry support them in a way that's well beyond the average income of their congregation even, Uh, again, so that they can see and and demonstrate, uh, at least in some external way, how good God is to them because they're serving him in such a way. I believe that that actually saddens the heart of God. And I do believe that those leaders that are that way, they're going to be held accountable before God for, again, the abuse of the sheep, the ravaging of the sheep, and, and as well as just the demonstration that they have of what the Word of God declares. And yet, biblically, it's only right that the church financially support those that minister to the congregation and even those that are on as support staff, allowing that the work of the ministry to continue on and, yes, for the ministry to continue to expand. Paul's very clear about this as he continues on. Look at verse 7 here. In verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense... Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? It's interesting. There's some churches, they take great pride in the fact of we don't have any paid ministers in our denomination or in our church. And yet, 
The Bible speaks totally different about that, both Old Testament as well as New. It's very interesting how uh, we see over and over again, again, how the support needs to be in order that those who are put in that position of ministering to the body can spend the time necessary in the study of the word and in prayer and in ministry to the body. Now, Paul brings out some very uh, easy understood illustrations. Again, he's bringing it right down, down to ground level for these guys to be able to understand it. If a state or a nation needs soldiers and the soldiers come in and they send them off to war, well, the soldiers can't stop every afternoon and say, hey, look, I got to go to my job now so I can earn enough to be able to eat and take care of my family. That'd be ridiculous. It'd be absolute catastrophe in the middle of the war. You know, you're, you're in a great firefight here and say, oh, wait a minute, you know, it's three o'clock. I'm supposed to clock in at my job at 3.30. I'll see you guys later. And they leave. No. He says if they're involved, there's no soldier, uh, again, goes on his own wages or, or at his own expense. To be distracted by that, again, total catastrophe. If an individual plants or cares for a vineyard, they should be able to reap the benefits of the vineyard. If someone were tasked with that care of the vineyard, knowing that he'd never be able to partake of its fruit, how much interest do you think they would have in really caring for that vineyard? I don't, I don't get to reap any of the benefits of this thing. I don't think they'd have a whole lot of care. And again, with the understanding that, hey, you take care of this vineyard, you'll be able to, again, be blessed. You'll reap some of the benefits. Now, that's a whole different mindset then. It's a whole different care and design. If, if you're not going to be able to reap anything from it, there wouldn't be any extra effort. There, there'd be no real true concern of the fruitfulness of that vineyard. It would just be a job. Unfortunately, too many ministries today are just jobs rather than a real calling in their life. Paul also speaks about taking care of livestock, most, most likely sheep, those who spend those sleepless nights, those that stay out in foul weather, those that fight off the predators, those that put themselves in harm's way for this flock should expect to be able to at least enjoy fresh milk from the sheep. Otherwise, I think it would be like, uh, forget about it. You know, this, this job just is not worth it. They're not getting any of the benefit out of it. Paul wants them to know that although the very human nature, this, this human logic calls for the church to support its ministers, there's actually also a, a very strong directive from God's word through the words of Moses. Verse 8, he says, Do I say these things as a, as a mere man or with human logic? Or does not the law say the same also? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Every time I read this, I think, okay, he's calling all of us ministers oxen, but uh, I got over it. Okay, He says, is it really oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? I look at this, and I understand that Paul is bringing, again, a very a very logical, clear way to be able to understand. He draws from Deuteronomy chapter 25. He uses 
the same example later when he writes to Timothy. And once again, and, and as he's writing to Timothy, he writes about monetary support of those that are in the ministry. He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, he says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, some might say, well, yeah, we, we really appreciate those guys. We, we honor them. That's good. But he's very particular here. He goes on so you don't miss the point. In verse 18, still in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. I think Paul is absolutely clear in this. And some people, again, get so bent out of shape and think that it's wrong. It's wrong, number one, for those in ministry to receive any kind of monetary support unless it's just a a bare stipend to be able to survive. And it's absolutely wrong should you speak about it. And yet Paul spoke about it quite a bit. He, again, wanted the church to know that it's through the support of the ministry is where the church is actually going to thrive and grow because then the ministers are able to do what they're gifted and called to do rather than going out and trying to make a living otherwise. He states a very similar thing again in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. He says, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So we see here that the idea of financial support of those ministering to the flock has a very biblical foundation. Even Jesus, as we've gone through Luke, we've seen a couple of times that he sent his disciples out. And do you remember each time that he sent his disciples out, he said, look, don't, don't take a purse, don't take a, an extra cloak, don't take anything. In essence, to the people that you minister to, let them take care of you. You stay at their house. You eat whatever is set before you with that understanding. In other words, who you're ministering to, let them support you financially. Now, let me say this about that. I know that a lot of people listen to or watch a lot of either radio ministry or television ministries. And one of the things that I know on almost every radio ministry, in almost every television ministry, sometime during that broadcast time, they will say, you can help support this ministry by sending yada, yada, yada. Or if you want to keep us on the air, would you please send us money to support, and whatever way that they do it, and they have a, a multitude of different ways. They'll, they'll send you something if you send them money, just as a, a thank you for your support. It never ceases to amaze me those who support radio and television ministries that don't support their local church in a greater way. I love Chuck Swindoll. I love the minister. I love his teaching. I've even sent him some money on occasion. But you know what? If something's going down in my life, If I'm in the hospital or if I've got issues or I need counseling, guess what? I don't have Chuck on speed dial, okay? I will never, ever be able to get Chuck to come visit me in the hospital. It's my local pastors, the local elders, and the ministers. And so that just 
dumbfounds me that people get out of whack that way. They say, well, you know, that's, that's, that ministry is, is a great ministry, and that's true, many good ministries. And I don't mind people, and I, I see no fault in people supporting these other ministries. But please understand, the greatest support of your minister, or the greatest portion of your support, really ought to go to your local church because they're the ones that are going to be there. They're the ones that are going to minister to your family. Paul goes on in verse 12, uh, back in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? And then he says, nevertheless, we've not even used this right, but we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. How and when this came about with Paul, I'm, I'm not sure. We know that Paul supported himself in many cases. He was a tent maker. Uh, that's where we get the, the phrase, you know, that's his tent making job. Paul made tents. He was a worker in cloth along with Priscilla and Aquila, and that's how they came together as believers and as co-laborers together in the work of ministry. We know that in many areas, particularly as Paul first got into an area, he would support himself and the rest of the ministry as they made tents or, or worked with this cloth. Well, apparently in Corinth, Paul never did come to a point in time where that church supported him. And so during the entire time that Paul was there, it was either through his own working as a tent maker or through other financial support from other churches that were, again, helping him in his missionary journeys. And so he says, you know, others have that right. We should have had that right even more to be supported by the local church. Nevertheless, we never use this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Well, what does he mean by hinder the gospel of Christ? I think because he knew the heart of those people in Corinth. You're only here to make a buck. You're only here, you know, as as a money-making scheme rather than really here as a ministry. And he goes on to say, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple. Those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So Paul has taken situations of basic human logic. A soldier doesn't go at his own expense. A planter or a caretaker of a vineyard ought to be able to at least reap some of the benefits. If I'm taking care of the sheep, I ought to be able to enjoy some of the milk. He goes on to the situation even of, of Moses' declaration that the Lord gave him that you're not going to muzzle the ox as it treads, uh, treads out the uh, grain. And now he goes to, again, Again, the, the action and the work that's found there in the temple. The priests of the temple and the Levites, guess how they ate, gang? Guess where they got their finances to live? From the offerings and the tithes of the people that brought it to the temple. <gasps> but that's the Lord's money. Yes, and that's how the Lord used a big portion of it 
so that the priests could continue to minister at the temple, so that the Levites could continue to minister at the temple also. Even the animal sacrifices. All you have to do is go back and look in the book of of Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you realize that a great portion of the animal sacrifices that were given on the altar, that the priests partook of those things. They did it correctly in most cases, but we also read the story of Eli and his sons and how they were going in. They were taking the best right off the top and they were ripping the people off. Well, that happened back then also. So he brings out these examples. He see, we see the standard. And again, even though Paul had every right to expect the church of Corinth to cover all of his financial needs while he ministered there, he took a whole different route. Again, after making that strong statement for the financial support of the ministry, he tells the church at Corinth there in verse 15, he says, I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so for me. He's saying, look, I'm writing to you not to put a guilt trip on you, that now you turn around, you send me money. No, that's not what I'm doing either. He says, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. He said, I'd rather die than you guys start sending me money now. And, and again, I can see the frustration in his writing. No, I'm not writing this thing because I'm begging you to send me money. I'm writing it so you'll grow up, so you'll understand, so you'll see the importance. Because Paul's not going to be the one that's there in Corinth. They're going to have other pastors that are ministering and serving there, and they ought to be taking care of them. And Paul says, man, I'd I'd rather die than you guys mess up the fact that, man, I know that I was serving you with an absolute clear heart and a clear understanding. He said, verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of because necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, I'm not preaching the gospel because you pay me. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And I got to say the same thing. And I think any, any pastor with, with the right heart would say the same thing. I don't preach and share the gospel because you pay me. I'm allowed to do it in the capacity that I'm doing it because I am paid. But you know what? Just like Paul Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I would rather go and preach at some little church that could not afford to do anything than to feel that I'm a paid hireling and you pay me to preach what you want to hear. And the unfortunate reality is there's a whole lot of pastors around who are simply hirelings. And if they start stepping on toes, then they better start looking at the want ads, churchjobs.com or whatever, uh, to to see where they might be going. Just as many of you have shared with me, uh, especially, man, as we've been going through Corinthians, it seems like, man, it's like being whacked every, every week that we come in here. My toes get stepped on even as I preach it. So my, my toes are sore just like yours are here. You don't pay me to preach it. I'm allowed to preach it. 
I'm allowed to be able to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the message, to teach the word of God in the capacity that I'm doing it because I am supported by the church, but you're not paying me to teach it. And that's what Paul is trying to say there. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He says in verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. If I do it against my will, I've simply been entrusted with a stewardship, but What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. I think Paul was one of those guys that was so careful whenever he would come into an area and and people would want to bless him in a financial way. I believe that he had, again, that insight of just really caring and saying, no, no. Uh, I don't want to get into that situation. And I'm not saying that Paul didn't receive financial support along the way, because I do believe that he did in many cases. As a matter of fact, most other cases he did, but Corinth, he didn't. But I believe that he's the kind of guy that if you came up and says, hey, look, man, we really like your preaching. We want to support you in this, and I'm going to write out a check. What can I write that out to? I'm sure he's the kind of guy that says, look, look, you want to bless the ministry? then bless the ministry. I really don't care what you give, how you give it, or what. I don't care. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to do the job. And again, I want to let you know, and I know that some of you have done it in the past, I hate it when you hand me a check and say, I forgot to put this in the offering Sunday. (laughs) Don't do that. You don't know how uncomfortable that makes me feel. Give it next week. We're not going to grow broke between now and next Sunday, okay? And even if you're going on vacation, the Lord's got a handle on this. So you don't need to give me the check. You don't need to let me know. I believe, again, when I, when I look at this, Paul says, man, I've got a reward just in preaching the gospel. I don't need the finances. And whether the Lord ever allowed him to do it outside of build, uh, making the tents I think Paul would have made tents until the day that he died just in order that he could continue preaching and uh, proclaiming the gospel. He says in verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now here he's suddenly kind of changed uh, the direction in what he's saying. And here he starts talking about the depth of his commitment to, to people. He says, I'm, I'm free from all men. You know, nobody has a hold over me making me do something that I don't feel led to do. But I want to let you know what I do. I've made myself a servant to all. I don't owe you anything, but I'm your servant. And I do that in order that I might win the more. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. Paul had been a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Man, he was raised in the greatest of schoolings. And all. Paul knew everything about the Jews. And when it came to ministering to the Jews, he could observe all the understanding and all the, the ritual of Judaism in order that in the process of that, he could open up to them the truth and the hope of grace and the truth and the hope of the truth of the gospel. He says, to those that are under the law, man, I became as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. And 
in, in essence, what he's saying, I, I didn't put myself under the law that, that it would be a burden that I could prove my righteousness to anybody. If you fell a certain ceremonial or custom or ritual things, you know what, I'm not going to come in there and suddenly boast and try and blow you out of the water by my freedoms in Christ. No, I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to humble myself to where you're at so that it might open up a door for the gospel. As we conclude our time here today on The Open Word, we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 1 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us again on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take The Open Word with you on the go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound, biblical-based teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at theopenword.com, be sure to click on About for information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is theopenword.com. That's all the time we have for today here on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a blessed day.